This is episode six with a very strong woman, Laurel Bloomfield. She's kept her greatest struggle quiet for years. And today she's opening up about her journey with miscarriages, infertility, and adopting a son. I, I went from almost essentially closing the door, like saying I'm not trying anymore, to a baby in my arms. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. So today you are in for a very heartfelt episode. We talk about infertility, miscarriages, adoption. Laurel shares her journey through all of these struggles, her belief that everything comes at the right time, how she imagined her mom life before all of this happened, and how her image of becoming a mother has changed, how she coped with all of this, how she dealt with the loss, the loss of a baby, the loss of being a mother right away, how her and her husband dealt with this and what we should or should never say to someone who is going through these struggles. What are those things? Laurel gives us all the insight, what happens and how she found her strength through it all. And what is her next step now? After going through all this, it has inspired her to help other couples. So she will give us all the details in this episode. I hope you really enjoy it as much as I did speaking with her. Welcome, Laurel, and thank you for being on Citrus Love Podcast today. I want to start off with a fun fact that I read about you. I, I read on your Facebook page that you had a ranch wife initiation five years ago and you <laughs> tackled the 400 pounds calf. I'm like, I have to ask her about that because it's <laughs> impressive. My dad was a farmer. We didn't have animals, but wow. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. I'm excited to connect with you and have this conversation. And yeah, that was um, a funny moment in my life. Um, We, my husband is a cattle rancher. He's a fifth generation cattle rancher. You don't just go around wrestling calves for the fun of it. I mean, they do rodeos and such. But the reason there you would do that is the calf was sick and we were doctoring the calf out um, on the range where we were a long ways from a corral or something where we could get them confined. So my husband roped the calf, wanted me to tail it over. So like take it off its balance and lay it down to be able to give it a shot for the necessary medicine it needed to Mm -hmm. not be sick, hopefully. Anyways, I'm like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> this calf is like four times my size. Anyways, it was, um, it didn't go quite smoothly. I have no future in steer wrestling <laughs> in the rodeo. <laughs> it was pretty amusing. But my husband was on a young horse who he hadn't even roped off of yet. And you have to train a horse to know how to hold a calf and to not freak out when you rope something. And anyways, it was kind of a, sh- a show. If we weren't out, out in the middle of nowhere, it would have, you know, people would have gotten a kick out of it. <laughs> but, how long uh, did it take you to to move the calf. Oh, I don't remember. I did eventually get it. I don't remember how long. It probably wasn't that long. It just felt that way, you know. Um, and then one of the really funny things is while I was wrestling the calf, I'm like, there's no way I could do this. I can't do this. It's like, you really can do it. My mom does it. And I'm like, oh, well, now <laughs> I have to do it. I called his mom and I told her that story. And she's like, Laurel, I have never done that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it worked. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't have to wrestle calves very often. Our cows are out on the range 99% of the time. So we don't deal with as much sickness. But when you do, you do have to try to get a rope on them and doctor them. So you're quite a busy lady. You're a patent inventor, entrepreneur, ranch wife, mother. You have multiple business that you've started and are still continuing on creating. But today I wanted to focus on your special journey, uh, the one you shared in our Facebook group for Knowledge Business Blueprint, which I thought was very courageous of you to do. It was your seven-year journey to becoming a mother from your fertility struggles to pregnancy losses to the adoption of your son, he, who now is six years old. You wrote that all you ever wanted to be was a mother. How did you view motherhood in the beginning before all this happened uh, during the seven years? And how has it changed from then to now? Oh, gosh. Well, in those seven years, I, I definitely was had the opportunity to grow um, in my patience. I, I would say I um, have always been a very patient person, but that that journey through seven years of heartbreak really tested my patience and I think gave me even more tools to be a patient mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I viewed motherhood before I had that struggle. I didn't give it that much thought except for that I just knew I was going to be a mom and that's what I wanted to be. I never dreamed that I would have fertility struggles. Um, It didn't cross my mind. And I think a lot of people um, get kind of shell-shocked with like, wait a minute, why is this not working? I mean, I never thought it would not work. And through that, I remember having, I mean, a lot of aha moments, a lot of, you know, personal development moments, just conversations in my head and conversations with my husband as we were trying to get through that sad period of our life and I had this this clear thought that my child would come exactly when they are supposed to come so it kind of became a clear picture to me that he has a life path that is intertwined with mine but he has to come at a certain time to you know accomplish certain things that that he's meant to accomplish and marry a certain person or have his own children, like his, his whole life has a path too. And he's going to come, he or she, I didn't know who was going to come at that time, but he's going to come when he's supposed to. And that's, I mean, it, it sounds cliche, especially when you're going through infertility, but everything happens for a reason. There's time, there's a timing to everything. What's meant for you won't pass you by. So through those seven years, I'd never, I'm not one to give up. Like you said, I'm a businesswoman. I'm a patented inventor. I wrestle 400 pound calves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't give up. Mm-hmm. And this also does, this also will sound a little cliche, but I finally accepted my path. Like kind of just said, okay, I'm okay with my life. I'm okay with whatever comes my way. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, our little baby boy was basically like dropped in our lap. Mm-hmm. So um, I think those seven years, I would do, I think I said in my post, I would do them over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again. I would do them for a million years, which is heartbreaking. I mean, seven years was hard. Seven mm-hmm. years killed me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to have him, exactly him, I wouldn't want it any other way. And so if I had to do it over again, I would do it over again just to mm-hmm. get. And for anyone else who is, struggling and wanting a baby so bad, I I can just promise you that when you do get that baby, whether that's a few months from now, a few years from now, a decade from now, it will all make sense. I mean, I don't wish a long journey on anyone, but there is a time and a place for everything. And when you hold that baby in your arms, it's worth everything. Mm Take us back a little bit so we understand your story. When you realized that getting pregnant naturally was not happening, how long did you wait until you saw a doctor or a fertility clinic or what happened at that stage? So we decided we would just try to get pregnant right after we got married. We wanted to have kids. We wanted to have them soon. um, And we didn't know if it would take, you know, 
the honeymoon or it would take a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So we just kind of just let it ride, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Just open to it from like day one, basically. Once we got married, we. And just how old to... were you at that time? I was, I was 25 and he okay. was 29. Mm-hmm. Okay. After. I mean, after just a few months, a little bit of doubt starts to trickle into your mind. Like, um, just, hmm, hmm, just not a lot. Like, I'm not a high stress, high anxiety person. So I didn't go right into freak out mode when it didn't happen right away. But at about six months, I got a little bit scared and worried. Um, At a year, I knew I needed to see a doctor, but I didn't want to. And I think that there's a lot of people who put that off because for me, I was like, I don't want them to tell me the worst news, you know? So I just kind of put it on a shelf. I think scheduling your first doctor's appointment to talk about potential infertility is one of the hardest things to do in the whole journey, that first step. And that you could say that about most difficult journeys, Mm -hmm. but scheduling that first doctor's appointment is, is tough. Because after a year, I knew something wasn't working, but I was also scared of what the answer might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was almost two years before we scheduled the doctor's appointment. And was that with just a regular MD or was it a fertility clinic? It was with um, a, just a regular doctor's office, okay. a, a gynecologist mm-hmm. who... Um, kind of specialized in lower level fertility treatment. We went to him and we started on um, some ovulation medicine. We did that for a few months. And then we went into some deeper testing. um, And then we did IUI, which is, Mm -hmm. and we did that with um, the ovulation medicine. And we did that for several months. I want to say four or five. Um, We did rounds of IUI, intrauterine insemination. So we did that. And then after that didn't work, after a few rounds, that doctor basically said, I have to cut you off here and you have to go to a specialist because I don't want to waste time and money if this isn't going to work. So then we went to, I think it was probably about six months later. Oh, you know what? I had, um, see, I even forget some of this stuff, all this painful (laughs) stuff. I had a large fibroid in my uterus, like almost the size of a grapefruit, he said. I had that removed and then my uterus healed really well. And then we did the IUI. That's how that went. And then he wanted us to go to a specialist. It took us a while. I'm not exactly sure on the timing of it. It took us a while to decide we were going to, to risk the money, to pick a clinic. Where we where we are at, it's pretty rural and remote. So any place we have to go is quite a bit of travel. Mm-hmm. So we found a clinic that we liked that was... like a five hour drive from home. And we went and we did in vitro. After kind of a long path with that, it ended up not working a few rounds, right? Okay, so you did that for a couple months? Yeah, the process takes a couple months anyways, and then um, then a little bit of waiting and then recovery time. And so it, it spanned over a year. Okay. Basically. I know that nowadays it can be either the men or the women that Mm -hmm. have difficulties or a low sperm count or multiple reasons. It's not just the woman. Were both you and your husband tested? Oh, yeah. Do you know why uh, you weren't able to conceive? Um, Well, for us, that's what was one of the frustrating things for us is Mm -hmm. there was no clear... There was no clear answer that this is what's wrong and Mm -hmm. therefore no clear answer as to how we fix it. Mm. So um, we're both tested, you know, kind of put through the ringer. The woman takes the brunt of being put through the ringer going through fertility treatments for sure. Um, We were... This is it's frustrating. We were kind of given an unexplained infertility diagnosis, even as far as we took the treatment. So we went um, with IVF and we did ICSI, which is inner cytoplasmic sperm something, where they take his sample and they spin it down. Mm-hmm. So um, like the weak ones get separated from the strong ones, and then they take the best sperm individually and in- inject it into the egg. So there's like they remove all possible barriers that they could remove. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that level, they expect 75% fertilization rate. Well, on the first round, we got um, 
one egg to fertilize out of 13. And the clinic had no idea why. I mean, I don't think they made a mistake in their lab. They're, you know, fertility clinics are very high level. And this fertility clinic we went to, they have three separate fertility clinics around the West and they've been practicing for 25 years and they've never had a fail, failed fertilization with ICSI. But so ours is considered a failed fertilization. Usually they get how many eggs? With ICSI, they expect a 75% fertilization rate. And then fertilized eggs, I think it's about 50% will split into an embryo. And then about 50% of those will will split into an eight-cell embryo and be healthy mm-hmm. and able to be implanted back into the uterus. Okay. And so we had, um, this was our, that was our last try, I think, not our first try, our last try. And we had the one egg get fertilized and they called me and basically said, odds are this this egg is not going to turn into an embryo. So that was like the end of the road for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty devastating. And But then it did turn into an embryo. And it split and it turned into, they said, a beautiful eight-cell embryo. And my uterus looked awesome. And we really felt like, oh, this is it. This is our one. This is our baby. Like that's, it's meant to be. And it mm-hmm. was such, I got pregnant and then I lost it about 10 days in. And I was just, to say I was confused to be an understatement, there's just not a word really for that feeling of, I had put all, we had put all our money and all our hope and we had this one beautiful, perfect embryo. I mean, even the doctors, they were like short of saying it's a miracle, but they felt like it was a miracle that this had even split into an embryo. So feeling that positive and being able to like really rally after all that time and all those disappointments and letdowns and then to have that be another letdown was it was so so hard I want to ask you about you and your your husband during this time because Mm -hmm. when you're going through a difficult time and especially emotional and Mm -hmm. intense like this how did it affect your relationship how is it like as a couple when you're going through this like there's emotions on both sides but Mm -hmm. we um I would say over those seven years we built very strong communication skills that like probably a lot of married couples don't have and they have to work on it their whole life. Mm-hmm. Communication is key in any marriage. Um, for us going through that hardship, it forced us to communicate. And really, yeah, there are significant emotions. And I mean, I feel like instability in how sad you are. You know, I mean, there's depression, there's stress from how expensive this is. There is like the fear of letting your spouse down, um, usually goes both ways, you know, um, you know, I would cry like every night and my husband would feel like he can't fix it, which Mm -hmm. I think is very hard for a man who loves his wife. Um, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of hardship, but Mm -hmm. The way that we dealt with it is we turned towards each other instead of, I think a lot of people when they're going through um, sadness, loss of hope, depression, stress, they tend to put walls up even between the person who's supposed to be closest to them and they end up turning away from each other. Maybe sometimes like finding blame Mm -hmm. in each other and you just can't do that if you want to have a successful partnership in anything. There's no place for blame. I've always looked at marriage as a team effort. We're a team and so whatever I'm going through, he's going through, whatever he's going through, I'm going through. And I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I would have that, that outlook as strong had we not been tested in this way. But I mean, like even just things, getting pregnant requires sex and sex is supposed to be fun and Mm -hmm. really good for your marriage. And when you're going through infertility treatments, like the doctor is telling you to have sex at four in the morning, like (laughs) set your alarm and have sex tomorrow at four in the morning. Like it kind of makes it like business. Um, keep the romance and (laughs) yeah and and just keep that connection Mm -hmm. really like because you have you need that connection to make your marriage Mm -hmm. work well and so even just that and that was like at the low level fertility Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then everything becomes more hyper managed and scheduled and it's uncomfortable. But if you go through it together Mm -hmm. and really work on your opening yourself up, which is hard to do, especially when you're sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I know a lot of people who this struggle kills their marriage. Yeah. But it really can strengthen it more than than anybody else's marriage. I mean, for us, we have our marriage is easy. And people say that when you say that, somebody's lying. But <laughs> for us, because we have been through such a hard journey and we did it together, you know, we made a conscious effort to just always be holding each other up. It made anything else that you could really throw at us easy. I'm really grateful for it. I, it's a strange place to get to when you're grateful for the struggles you went through, but it's really grateful mm-hmm. um, because we did get so much out of it and mm-hmm. so much strength out of it and skills, just skills that make a marriage easier. We got from kind of being thrown into that hardship. Yeah. yeah. More and more women are opening up and talking about their struggles or fertility mm-hmm. and infertility or miscarriages you hear like I don't know if it was the, the case for you but some women they change their diet or change their mm-hmm. routines or start eating organic or ex- mm-hmm. doing yoga or meditation or changing mm-hmm. things to increase their fertility mm-hmm. did you change anything from your routine what you did what you ate did anything change or you took vitamins or apart from all the fertility treatments I did um I did everything I could think of or everything I could get my hands on like if someone said drink this tea I would drink the tea you know or best vitamins I could find and I yeah I was constantly trying to find a solution um, beyond traditional medicine Mm-hmm. Um, I believe everything is connected. I believe our state of mind has everything to do with our ability to create anything. I think that there are a lot deeper things going on in our body that doctors don't even know mm-hmm. or can see or can have a test for, you know. Um, so I love those stories that, you know, someone changed X and was able to get pregnant. That's awesome. Um there hasn't been a magic bullet for me, but it just wasn't. I mean, I'm in such a place that I know it was meant to go this way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, if I had a magic bullet to tell someone, I would totally, totally do that. And so I can see why people share share that, you know, they found the ticket. And I think you should always try, you yeah. know, if you find something and it resonates with you and you think, well, if I tried that, maybe it would work, then do it, you mm-hmm. know. I read a book recently. And it, the woman code, I don't know if you've heard it, um, by Alyssa Vitti and it's incredible. Well, it talks about learning, um, monthly cycles, like Mm -hmm. when you're ovulating and what to eat and balance your hormones for you. Do you have regular menstrual cycles or people are irregular and want to try to have regular cycles so they can kind of when they're ovulating or not? I was totally regular. Like I had a period every day, every 30 days since I was 12. And, you know, I had very painful periods. I have um, some endometriosis, which Mm -hmm. can be an infertility causer, but I was extremely regular. Like people, when I said I never expected that I would struggle, I really never expected that I would struggle Mm. because I have, I'm so regular. And then I know people who are completely irregular and they mm-hmm. get pregnant easily. <laughs> so, you know, I think that I didn't really go through that tra- pre-period where I was like preparing mm-hmm. to get pregnant and trying to balance my hormones because I was from all basic standards. I was, op- my body was operating normally. So doing anything possible to conceive a child you and your husband it was something you were willing to do like fertility treatments and then on to adoption but before I jump into the adoption part of the your journey you describe you would go through hell a million times to get to where you are today that hell was that during the fertility treatments coming to terms with not being able to conceive naturally Um, I would say by the time we got to 
the higher level fertility treatments, IVF and ICSI, I was in much more peace of mind or I was able to deal with my emotions a little bit better. But like year four of trying was the worst for me. I mean, I, I can't really explain it, but it was really where I had like lost hope. It was like the lowest point. And I'm not sure exactly why year four, but I think I was just, I was just on a journey. And I kind of was, by the time we went through fertility treatments, I was kind of clawing myself back up from a really, really low depression. Say that journey, that whole seven years, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So I can't pinpoint it to the fertility treatments. I think I was actually in a little bit better place by the time I went through the fertility treatments. But then the the loss and disappointments during those fertility treatments was gut-wrenching and um, almost caused us to give up. So, I mean, all of it, the whole seven years was my version of hell because I just always thought I would be a mom and Mm -hmm. like having all that doubt for that many years and going through such a a battle and we got through it. And you said you had pregnancy losses. Did Mm -hmm. you have more than book about that one, which was considered kind of a miracle? Did anything else happen after that? Um, After that, no, before um, when we were in the beginning of our journey, I had a few pregnancies, but I never could keep them past the first month. So okay. really um, short-lived, but all the same. Um, yeah. It was just... During like- this time, did you talk anyone close to you about it apart from your husband? The really deep stuff, the really, the really, really depressed moments was just between me and my husband, but I, I am a fairly open person. I have some really good friends in my life and my sister is my best friend. So, I mean, I would cry to my sister and, um, and my best friend would know mostly what was going on, but I still kept as positive of a face on as I could, even with the people closest to me. Mm-hmm. So during those years, what did you do to feel better or to surround yourself with support? Just get through it. Yeah, to stay strong and to continue. What gave you that strength? Um, I'm a woman of faith, so I tried to hold on to that and prayed, tried to trust that things are as they should be, all very difficult. But um, I think that as a woman, oftentimes we we feel like a natural desire to create this human, like our bodies are built for it and what we want to do a lot of the times. Um, and so for me, my husband owned a cattle ranch and a construction company and I dove into business because it was like the closest thing I could get to creating something mm-hmm. um, to try and exercise that like creative desire when my natural creative desire wasn't working how it should, you know? Um, so I dove into business and entrepreneurship. And uh, like you said, at the beginning, I built several companies. I, I'm a patented inventor. I, you know, I wouldn't have done all that if I had a baby when I first started, probably, because I would have had what I wanted you know ultimately and um so it's interesting how things work out the way that they do but I that was kind of how I coped I had to create something so you know I'm a creative person in the way that they have good ideas and I can build businesses but like if someone is struggling with infertility or miscarriages and and if they identify that their creative desire just isn't being met, then there are ways to try and be creative. Like for me, if I could be creative, it it got me out of bed in the morning versus just being depressed. So I think exercising my creativity is what really got me through it. Mm -hmm. So like if you were a painter or a photographer or, or you took up something like that, it could help kind of ease that pain for your, the desire to create not being met. Mm-hmm. If you find some other way, some other outlet to be creative mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you for 
advice for someone who's looking in from the outside? I haven't experienced this uh, this struggle with fertility, but I know quite a few people in my circle. Mm -hmm. I have relatives, friends with different stories and challenges. For me, I always want to help, but It's such a sensitive subject mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't like to talk about it. How's the right way to go about it? What would you want someone to have done for you? Well, I mean, there it, it's it's a complicated matter and it, it is a kind of a private, yeah, touchy subject. It's um what you really often are dealing with is is the depression and anxiety and those are things that you You don't want to just leave your friend alone in that. But most people who, who are going through infertility have, they have looked for all the solutions or they've tried them or they've spent all their money or, so you don't really need, I would say in general, people going through it don't really need advice. They need just to know that you, you see them and you see their struggle mm -hmm. and, and that you're there. For them, you know, so I mean, something just as simple as how are you doing? You know, this can't be easy. It could open a conversation to someone opening up mm -hmm. and everybody is different. So like my mm -hmm. personality probably reacts differently than someone else. But I know that, I mean, advice, like it could, you could find the ticket, but the person probably already has looked at or tried 400 other things. You know, and I would say don't lead with don't lead with advice. Just lead with that you love them and you know they're struggling. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything you can do to mm -hmm. ease their pain for them to let you know. And that's that's probably even just enough just to know that somebody a lot of times you feel really, really alone and even isolated. Like I had people who um, didn't invite me to a baby shower because they thought I would be hurt by that. Mm -hmm. And It does hurt. I mean, like, honestly, going to a baby shower is hard. It's very hard. But you don't want to be excluded either. Rather, be invited and have your friend, you know, say, I don't want to hurt you. And I'm so sorry. And cry with you. And then go out and have fun at the baby shower. <laughs> like, you want to be included, even though it's hard, you know. And, like, I didn't want to be. I know of some women who, like, put huge walls up they don't even want to be around children because it hurts so bad but like I wanted to be around children I love them so much and yeah let me watch your babies and I can do it like I mean I started a babysitting business when I was nine years old like I was <laughs> booked out I can watch babies you know even though I don't have one of my own um or I do now but I didn't then I mean, I had some people like think that I wouldn't want to be around them anymore because they have children and that they needed other friends that had children. And I'm like, well, that makes me feel even worse, mm. you know? So I think being included is really important. And then just privately acknowledging that you, that you see their pain and you want to be there for them. You just don't know the right moves to make is just honest and open enough to, to really let someone genuinely know that you're there for them. Mm -hmm. yeah that's good so let's talk now about the adoption yeah. side of the story was this always something you and your husband were open to do like adopt or when did you start talking about it for the first time for for us we talked about adopting children before we even got married we didn't oh. talk about um having fertility issues we just thought we would have a few kids and adopt a few kids Because wow. we knew that there were children that needed homes and love. And I had always, I had always thought I would adopt. But in my mind, I would get married, I would have babies, and then I would adopt some babies for children. Um, it just went a different direction. But I was always, I always wanted to adopt. Mm -hmm. Even when we were making the decision to move from the low level fertility treatments to IVF, the conversation was, should we spend, should we adopt? Because both of those are quite a bit of a financial investment. So where should we spend our money was even a conversation. If we adopt, um, then we'll just, we'll be out of money to do fertility treatments. If we do fertility treatments, we'll be out of money to adopt. We felt like the right decision was to do fertility treatments. I think that there really was um, 
probably for me, I needed maybe that closure. I didn't think of it that way then. Like the question of, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be a mother? Because you can be a mother without being pregnant. But I think my body wanted to be pregnant and I hadn't let go of that yet. While I was, I mean, I was totally open to adopting. I just hadn't closed that door. And I think I didn't want to close the door until I knew it was for sure. I had to close the door. Um, So I think that's probably why we went that direction, you know, doing IVF versus adoption off the bat. But then um, when the door was closed with IVF, we were kind of out of money. We had all of, you know, we had the failed fertilizations. We had no eggs left. We were just at the like end of our rope emotionally, financially. Um, we had never had the conversation. Like a lot of people will say, let's just stop trying and then it happens. You've heard that all the time. People yeah. gave up and they and then it happened. We had never had that conversation of like, let's just quit trying because it wasn't what we wanted. We wanted to be successful in building our family. We wanted children and um, we had never had that conversation until after the last failed IVF. And then we had that conversation and it was more spurred by me. My, my husband would never say I'm done and we got to quit trying because he knew how much I longed to be a mother. So he was, he's wonderful. He would do anything to me, mm-hmm. to, to give me that. So, um, I just said, I, I got to take a break. We didn't say let's give up, but it was kind of like, I can't try anymore. That was five years in or seven years in? Um, that was almost seven years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't deal with the letdown anymore. And anyways, a few weeks later, a friend of mine called and she said, I know it's kind of, I know you guys are doing fertility treatments, but are you open to adoption? And, you know, it's not a conversation I have with everyone, but, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, of course I'm open to adoption. We've been wanting to adopt our whole life, you know, and she had a niece who worked at a doctor's office and there was a birth mother who came in and needed to find a home for her baby that was going to be due soon. And anyway, she was telling her, her aunt Kelly, who's my friend about it. And Kelly said, oh my gosh, well, I, uh, I have the perfect people. I just don't know if they're ready for it. So she called me and then they connected us with this birth mother and she ended up just choosing us on the spot. How many weeks pregnant was she at that time? Heath was born like a month later. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was fast. Wow. It was so fast. That's like what I said. We just had a baby dropped in our lap. It literally was, it literally was like that. I, I went from almost essentially closing the door, like saying, I'm not trying anymore to a baby in my arms. So you didn't have to go through that process going through an adoption agency with psych evaluations. You still have to do that. Yeah, it was just rushed. Um, Like you still have to get an FBI background check. You have to have psych evaluations. You have to have a, it's called a home study. So they have to come inspect your home, make sure it's safe. You, they have to do the psych evaluations to make sure you're safe. Like normally even the FBI background check will take three months, but we had to expedite it and they got done in three weeks. I mean, we literally just like everything fell into place, but it was still, it was a lot. It was all just crammed into a short time. So this woman, she was from your city or rural Um, area? A couple towns over. Okay. She had to accept you as parents to Mm -hmm. the child and you had Mm -hmm. obviously agree. So. Right. She has her rights to choose an adoptive family. And then um, through the court system, lawyers, she signs her right over to us and then the adoption gets finalized past that okay so would this be called like an open adoption because you Mm -hmm. met the biological mother before the child was born right Mm -hmm. so you can set up um your terms of the adoption basically Mm -hmm. with it's almost like a handshake deal with the with the birth mother I send her pictures and we talk every once in a while. Um, we don't see each other. So it's a it's a semi-open okay. adoption. 
And were you in the room when she gave birth? I was. Yeah, it was awesome. Wow. And she even invited my mom to be in there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So when she gives birth and they clean the baby Mm -hmm. and wrap it in a blanket, do they automatically give the child to you? They did hand him to me in that situation. And but then I I handed him back to her. Um, It was I mean, thinking back on it, it was kind of a whirlwind. Yeah. But just I just didn't feel right just taking her baby out of her. You know, I, I handed him back. And then after a little while, we just stayed in the room together and kind of had the baby together. And then we took the baby into a recovery room and she had her recovery room and we were right next to each other. But I kept the baby with me. That's how she wanted it. And it was how it worked best. So, mm. but in the moment, I, I took the baby and held him for just it felt like a second. And I, it was hard but I put him back on her chest so she could have time with him. And after that, you each went your ways. You went home mm-hmm. with um, your son mm-hmm. and you've kept in contact with her regularly or just like. Pretty yeah. regularly. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the beginning, it was more um, and then life just kind of gets full again, you know. And but yeah, we text and I send her pictures and. Every once in a while, we'll talk. Yeah. You and your husband, you've met her, but your son hasn't met. Just when he was, just when he was born. Born. Okay. Yeah. Is your son? Have you had a conversation yet, or I'm, or is he too young to? He's too to talk? young. Um, we yeah. talk about, like, we talk about it in more elementary terms. Like, there was a a lady who grew him in her belly and loves him. Things like that. Yeah. We okay. talk about, well, we haven't had the, I mean, and, and then we talk about his adoption. I mean, everybody knows he's adopted. We don't yeah. make it like a big topic of conversation. Yeah. He's also just, he's young and wild yes. and he just wants to play. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I think that when he's like a little more mature, we might have some discussions about it, but mm-hmm. we haven't gotten there yet. And I think that I don't want it to be a secret. So we talk yeah. about it. But it's we haven't had, um, like, I don't want it to be, I would never want it to be like he found something in my file cabinet when he was old enough to <laughs> rummage around and be like, what the heck, I'm adopted. I want him to know this is <laughs> yeah. kind of part of his story, but yeah. not, not what, like, defines him either. The adoption experience for you went rather quickly. You said mm-hmm. a month. For a couple who might be maybe considering adoption or a woman, how would someone know if this is the right path for them? Oh, Um, I'm sure not. Everyone has their own individual paths. For me, I, I make a lot of decisions on my intuition and I try not to overthink things. I mean, because this happened so fast, there was no like overthinking, but we had, um, explored adoption beforehand. I think we had talked with an agency. This was before, this was when we were deciding whether to do fertility treatments or adoption. Um, I think I even submitted an application to the agency and they turned us down with no explanation, which was very strange, but meant to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think their explanation was we have a lot of couples similar to you right now, and we don't think we can find all of you a match. And I'm like, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, your path will be kind of directed. Mm-hmm. to where it's supposed to go but if you kind of try to listen to your gut or your intuition um, if something doesn't feel right then then you don't do it yeah knowing it's right for you really is just going with your just your going off feeling. of you yeah. and your husband and or your partner and like when is the right time or you know I have a friend who she knew that she knew that she would not be able to have children like they had told her in high school. So as soon as they got married, they started the adoption process. But it took a few years for them um, to find a match and to get a baby. So everyone's timeline and journey is different. And we could look back on it and be like, why did we do IVF instead of adoption? You know, waste all that money and came out with nothing. And it was really perfect timing because it led us like right to Heath. I mean, literally right 
to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was born a month later, you know, so the timing when you, after you are able to step back and look at it, then you'll realize that you, you took the right path and you made the right decisions and things like that. But in it, it it's harder, you know, to know exactly what direction to go. But you just have to go, you just have to make a choice, pick a step mm-hmm. and trust that you're going, you're on this journey and it's going to get you where you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in the States, from what I've heard from your story, you're not covered for any fertility treatments, Mm-mm. right? That's no. Okay. And adoption, neither, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good, um, you get a tax credit for adoption. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. we did. I'm not sure what the tax credits are now. Mm-hmm. But it's a significant tax credit. But you have to be someone who can utilize a tax credit, meaning like you would owe taxes. And a lot of people get refunds instead of owe taxes. And I own a business. And a lot of times we don't make any money. But on paper, we've made money. You know, mm-hmm. so tax credits are a benefit test. But for some people, it doesn't really help. They, there is some talk of legislation to like make any adoptions done through the state, um, like if you adopted a child out of foster care, to get completely reimbursed for those adoption costs, the home study costs, and things like that to try and make it more accessible, mm-hmm. which I think is great because you yeah. don't have to be rich to raise a child. No, right? that's true. You really don't. Uh, I mean, you need some money to make sure they have food and a roof over their head, but I think a lot of people think they have to have a ton of money to, to adopt a child, but they they don't there's so many children who who need homes and and there is you know whether that's tax credits or potentially maybe uh, full refunds of the adoption costs if you if you adopt through the state then you know hopefully that makes that more accessible to mm-hmm. more good people who could be wonderful parents so what's next for you on the mom front or are you more uh, well right now you're focused on the business side too but you and your husband have you discussed in considering adopting another child or yes oh yes. definitely yeah. definitely um we wanted to a few years ago but things haven't worked out what we would like to do is adopt through the state this time children who are maybe a little bit older and don't have a home but that is a little more complicated when you when we have he already we want to make sure that it's a safe situation for him yeah And a good one, he is so social and loves other kids, so he would love it. But what's a sad reality is a lot of these children are hurt and psychologically damaged and and can be unsafe. A lot, most of them probably aren't, you know, Mm -hmm. love fixes a lot of things. So if we could bring children into the home and make them feel safe and loved, Mm -hmm. then some of their behavioral issues probably wouldn't, wouldn't come to fruition. Heath has some special needs, and so we just have to try to make sure it's the right situation. I would take, like, them all. I mean, anytime I hear <laughs> I anytime I hear of um, children in a home, I want to just mother them. We would like to adopt more children, for sure. I think this time around, we're kind of just accepting how it's going to work out. You know, like, we're not waiting, because you do have to take action for anything to happen, but accepting that the path and we would love to have more children so i have just a few quick uh, questions for you more on the business side you had also mentioned because of this journey and learning so much from it and you were thinking be of creating some family building workshops mm-hmm. is that still an idea that yeah uh, you want to implement yeah definitely so at the beginning you talked about um, how we connected through the knowledge business blueprint Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a program with Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi where they created um, kind of a layout of how they have built their businesses and empires around sort of an education model of taking what you know and helping people who want to or need to know what you already know. So I have some success in business. I'm a patented inventor. I run um, workshops teaching people how to write patents themselves. Um, a lot of people have great ideas that they don't act on because they don't think they can afford a patent attorney. But I wrote my patent myself and I show other people how to do that. So that's a business. And then I can teach people to take how to create their product, how to manufacture it, and then how to scale it into a large business. Um, one of my products launched in major retail. So I kind of focus in that direction. 
as I'm going through this program with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, um, really dives deep into like your sole purpose, basically. Well, I really do love business. I get very excited about it. Um, love marketing. I, I could totally geek out on it. But my sole purpose is I'm I'm a mother. And that's kind of what led me down that path and, and through that struggle. And I would say the whole reason I'm successful in business is because I'd been through that struggle. Um, like I can take so many parallels and lessons from that seven-year struggle that I've applied to business and applied to my marriage and and know that that's why I'm successful. So as I'm going through this knowledge business blueprint program, and it's really kind of peeling back the layers to find what your what they call your superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. really led me to to usually your superpower is your deepest, darkest, most painful struggle. Mm-hmm. If you got through it, then you're like a superhero. Um, I kept doing these exercises, and you know you've you've done them, but like. Everything I was writing had to do with my infertility journey. And it does apply to like my business life, but I felt like I could really help other women like me kind of navigate the fertility process, um, navigate their relationship during that, um, and help them find the right path. So I'm working on putting together virtual workshops and I also have really cool um sort of in the works for retreats like couples retreats Mm -hmm. going through infertility Mm -hmm. and we have some great connections in that community that I know could help people and so I'm I'm putting it together and that is a direction I'm definitely going to be taking. Yeah that's a wonderful idea. Where can people get more information from you where are you on social media your website um what's the best way to reach you yeah you can find me and friend me on facebook i'm just laurel bloomfield um you can find me on linkedin um, instagram my business where i um, help people take their ideas and turn them into patents or into businesses is dreamersmakersdoers.com and then um I'm working on putting together just a laurelbloomfield.com where I'll have like life and business coaching, but also the fertility coaching retreats and workshops. That's where I'm planning on putting all of that together. Thank you so much, Laurel, for opening your heart today and sharing your journey. I mean, a lot of women need to hear this and we need to talk more about this. And We do need to talk more about it. Support each other and not be ashamed or think we're a failure if it doesn't come easily. Right the strength and this is it's amazing you've had the support of your husband which is so important to go through it together it's much mm-hmm. easier than doing it alone if you could say to a woman listening that's going through similar challenges with fertility or thinking about what other options she should be doing or if she should just give up what message of maybe whole courage love or support can can you share There's so much. I mean, what I could say is that even though we don't know each other, you have a friend and support in me and probably millions of other people who are going through this as well, as well as people who aren't going through this, who want to be there for you. And that all the cliche things that we could say, they're cliche because they're true. So this period of your life is... It feels like it's dragging on for eternity, but in retrospect, it will be a blink of an eye. So my journey was seven years long. It was so hard and so long, but it it doesn't make like someone who's been going through it for a year minimized, you know, or um, someone who's been facing it for 13 or 17 years. Everybody has a different path, different journey so that we can learn different things catered to to us I heard someone and this was a a business podcast I was listening to but um he said your struggles are divinely designed for you to find your purpose so Mm. thinking trying to think about it in a from a divine sense from maybe like a sense of eternity that you have time like it may not feel like it you put these timelines on yourself. I mean, when I got married at 25, I legitimately thought I would have four children by the time I was 30. 
And when I didn't have even one, I was devastated Mm -hmm. because it didn't fit in what I thought my life was supposed to look like. But I would trade that vision of my life for the life I have now. Mm. 100%. Mm. You know? Um, And you just have to, like, you're not a failure. And I can still even relate to that because even when you brought that up just now, like, encouraging people to not feel like they're a failure. But as a woman, when your body doesn't work how it's supposed to, it is incredibly hard to not feel like a failure. But you're not if you keep going. If you just put one foot in front of the other, and I say this in like when I coach people in business all the time too, because some of those failures in business can be devastating and very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and very expensive. And Mm -hmm. and if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, I mean, everyone who's made millions and billions of dollars has failed, Mm -hmm. like probably multiple times, (laughs) lost their fortunes, maybe a couple times, you know, but they got back up and did it again. And so... When it's a sensitive subject about like becoming a parent, it's a lot more important than a business failure, you know, but the lessons are parallel and you have a purpose. And if you want to be a mother, you will be a mother. I can't tell you when, and you probably can't tell you when, but you probably, I mean, most people are probably like me where they just thought their life would go a certain way. And at a certain time they would have X, Y, and Z and it, rarely works that way but there's a child for you if you truly want to be Mm -hmm. a mother and if you if you can't do it anymore either that's okay too Mm -hmm. it really is and as long as you are okay with that decision Mm -hmm. you know I don't want anyone to feel like I know that there it's very rare that I hear this but there are some women who just say I'm done like I can't I have to shut this off I can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. and and they don't and they go on to have happy, successful marriages and great lives. And that's fantastic. But if you still want to have a baby in your arms or a child to love, there are ways to to do it. That's beautiful. Yeah. One question I asked everyone on the podcast, we all know that being a parent and mother is a roller coaster of emotions. And in, in this case, trying to conceive too, with keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing since becoming uh, a mom have you found that kept you inspired, gave you energy? Because we all know that uh, it can get exhausting, and especially <laughs> if you're doing tons of stuff and having businesses too so for you what do you go to like recharge to just Mm -hmm. keep going and being the best mom you can be showing up every day yeah that's a good question it's it's hard I think for especially women because we don't really take care of ourselves until it's maybe like we're totally burnt out so I will definitely admit to struggling with that. Like I don't, I don't take a lot of time for myself to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I probably, like when he was born, I said, if he wants me to hold him for nine months straight, I'm going to hold him for nine months straight because I didn't get to make him, yeah. you know? Um, and he did want me to hold him for nine <laughs> straight. So um, we ended up with like a terrible sleeper. He still doesn't sleep well. Like there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of rest time at all. But um, I think that like really looking through the eyes of a child helps you to kind of reset. So you have the children to help you do that. But like I took him for a walk this morning with a friend and we were walking through a wheat field and there's a road along like a four wheeler road along wheat field and there's a creek in the wheat field and Heath insisted on walking through the weed and letting it tickle his hands you know like think about if we just even like one moment out of the day looked at life like that instead of like okay I have I have an hour to walk down here and I gotta get back and I gotta get to a meeting and blah 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 you know he is just living life and enjoying it like enjoying how the wheat tickles his hands. I mean, so simple. So like, look at your children for kind of what they're teaching you and just like try to take a breath and be in that moment with them. That helps you. It helps me to be grounded and to like 
feel recharged, even just those little moments. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I I agree with that. So good. I think that's a good way to end this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening, two, three, four, five, six stars, whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye guys. <laughs>